Well, praise the Lord. Let me, let me turn, uh, turn you in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Would you turn there? I don't hear any pages rustling, and that's probably because uh, you all have a highfalutin uh, 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 electronics, right? That, that's, that's, that's a word from Brother Greer, uh, highfalutin. Praise God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living because it's easier to understand. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Talking about the children of Israel. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Talking about Caleb and Joshua. Now, pause. I want to read verse 2 from the Amplified because it explains it a bit further. For indeed we have heard the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. With the leaning of the entire personality on God and absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. And... It did, not, it did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. Um, I'm, I'm getting this bracket, all that extra words out. Because it was not mixed with faith, which is absolute trust on God, by those who heard it, neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who did hear it and who did believe. So you have got to stay in unity with those that are in faith, but you've also got to have faith yourself. And I want you to notice that it says in verse 1 in, 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 the, uh, in, the, new, in the New Living, it's, and all the translations are the same thing, just New Living is easier to understand. It says that some, some believers, talking about New Testament, born-again believers won't experience this rest. So it's not talking about heaven. <laughs> so I'm talking about heaven. I've heard, the, I've heard people say that this rest is talking about going to heaven. That's, that's not theologically accurate because every believer that is born again is going to heaven. So it's, you can't be a believer and then not experience heaven. You can squeak your way in and not have any, any, any crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. But uh, even Anton LaVey, I don't know if it's true, but I heard the founder of the Church of Satan who worshiped Satan himself all his life on his deathbed, he gave his heart to Jesus. And, 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 and an angel appeared to him or, or some kind of that and, and, and he started crying out asking Jesus to forgive him and he confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior as he was dying. His chief witch was beside him and has been on uh, many Christian th news stations and told the story. His chief witch, the one that did all the, the animal sacrifices and all the God knows what they did. The chief witch witnessed him giving his, getting born again. And then she got born again and has gone on many television things to tell people about how the mercy of God extends even to a Satanist who calls out to Jesus at the last minute. So he may not have entered in. So the rest that this is talking about is, is a rest in this life. Anton LaVey didn't enter into rest in this life, but he's entered into eternal rest. So this verse 1 couldn't be talking about heaven, salvation, because all of us are going to enter into the rest eternally. But it's talking about there's a rest here. There's something on this earth for you to enjoy. God wants you to enter into a rest on this earth. And not everybody will enjoy that rest on this earth, even though they'll enjoy the next world, but they won't enjoy this world because they don't meet the conditions. And that's why I'm teaching this to you so you'll know the conditions. Okay, verse 3. For only we who believe can enter into his rest. Yes. 
For as for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath that they will never enter that place of rest. He's talking about the children of Israel not going into the land of Canaan. Okay, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And in another passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. He's talking about those rebellious uh, Israelites who died in the wilderness. So God's rest, verse 6, is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, quote, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua, verse 8, had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God today. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best. The King James says, let us labor. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It explores our innermost thoughts and desires. Praise God. And it goes on and on. We don't have to, it talks about the high priest, but the main part I want to talk to you is about that rest. So you see the context of that entire chapter, uh, or, or not the whole chapter, but a lot of that chapter of scripture. So I want you to notice, now go back to the King James with me. I want you to notice that there's some three curious phrases listed in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11, all three. Okay, verse 9, you're looking for the phrase that says, there remaineth therefore a rest. What does that mean? That means there's a rest available for you. Yes. For the children of God in the new covenant, born again believers. There's a rest available. Number one, you have to know there is a rest available. Ephesians 2, 10 in the Amplified says, well, Taylor, I'm not as smart as you, brother. I know you know all this stuff off by heart, but I'm not quite where Taylor is. So I want to read you Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 in the Amplified Classic. Praise God. Amen. And it says here, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned before for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. This, there is a good, you may not enter that good life, but you're going to make it to heaven. But you can be broke. Oh, no problem. You can be sick. You can be bitter. You can be twisted. You can be rebellious. You can do a whole lot, have a whole lot of not so good things in this life and not live the good life. Because did you notice it says here that you must do the works which he predestined for you to do beforehand? There's things you've got to do. There's things you've got to obey in order to have that good life. Praise God. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk. He wants us to walk. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready. He wants you to have a good life, but you've got to do works. You've got to obey. There's certain conditions about this good life. Now, uh, look please in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I'm just giving you a brief summary of what I had shared uh, some of, and obviously there's a lot more stuff I'm sharing today. But Matthew 11:28, 28, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Burdens, heaviness, pressure. That is the opposite of rest. Do you see that? Yeah. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now, how did this sermon come about? I was sitting in my easy chair 
Praise God. Because it's easy to fall asleep. And it's easy to eat nachos and cheese in the easy chair. It's easy to do, it's easy to pray as well. It's easy. It's just an easy chair. And I was in that easy chair last Saturday night. Last Saturday night. And I heard, I had another message ready for last Sunday morning. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, read Hebrews 4. And I read, rest, 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 rest. And then he said, go to Matthew 11 and read that. And I said, I will. And he said, it's the same rest, son, teach them. That's all he said. I had to come up with the rest of it on my own. Can you believe he didn't tell me anything else? But of course, the Holy Ghost leads and guides as we study. But he said, talk to them about that rest. Jesus said, I want to give you rest. It's the same rest as Hebrews 4. It's the same thing. What does that word rest mean? It's not heaven because everybody that's born again is going to heaven, but not everybody that's born again has rest in this life. Not everybody lives the good life. The rest is the good life. The rest is the peace. The rest is the prosperity. The rest is, keep going with me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest to your souls. Now what is the rest? Verse 30 tells us the definition. What is the rest? For my yoke is easy. That's still work. You're still doing work because a yoke means work. You're not just sitting watching TV all day. There's still a purpose in life. You must do a job. There must be work. But that work is easy. And my burden, instead of the pressure that is on the world, the pressure on you is light. It's an easy yoke and a light burden if you're walking in the Spirit. There's still work to do, but it is not grievous. If you hate your job, you're out of the will of God. Did you hear me? If you're praying for ISIS to bomb your factory, which is what I did for six years. Now, I was in the will of God because I had to work because pastors were too cheap to give me an offering. But I was in the will of God being there, but I was traveling. I was in a unique season of my life, but I would never do that job as the rest of my life. But what I'm saying is if you don't enjoy your job, if, you, if your work, your yoke is hard, if the pressure is on you all the time, and even if you like your job, but there's always this pressure on you and the burden is heavy, something is amiss. You're not living the good life. People think the good life is just having money. Money is part of the good life, but it is certainly not the most important thing. I would rather have peace. I would rather have a good marriage than just a lot of money. But God doesn't say you have to pick or choose. He says you can have the whole thing. He says you can have peace. You can enjoy. You can wake up with a clear heart, clear conscience, clean hands. Know that God's pleased with you. You can enjoy his presence. You can have a good marriage. You can raise your children good. You can have money. You can have vacations. You can have win people to Jesus and have the thrill of casting out devils and seeing people set free and born again. This is all the good life. You don't have to live selfish. You don't have to live broke. Money is not the most important part. Peace is. Peace is the most important part. Knowing that you're in the will of God and using your faith for God to grow, like she said, to festoon, which is, means to wrap. Like you, like you, it literally means to wax great. It says Isaac waxed great. It said Abraham waxed great. It means it wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It wasn't a pyramid structure. It was a marathon. It was not a sprint. God rarely, that's why we don't believe in lotteries. I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm, anyway, if I were you, I'd put the money in the offering and put it as seed instead of buying your 649 every week. Because first of all, you're not probably going to win that. And even if you did, it's never God's plan to get rich quick. Because you don't have the character and integrity to handle that money. And the first thing you'll do is run away from church. I'm telling you about it. People don't have, it takes integrity to have money. It takes wisdom to, uh, to have more money in your hands. 
You, you can't be emotional about it. You've got to learn how to be spirit-led when that. God never does that stuff. Uh, in my opinion, I know Dr. Dufresne would say that all the time. He doesn't do that stuff. In fact, gambling is a get-rich-quick scheme. Gambling is of the devil. One time and one time only, we walked through a gambling because we were at a hotel and we, and we could have gone to the elevator. And I said, let's just walk through. I just want to see what it looks like. I've never been in one ever in my life. And we walked through, brother, uh, brother, I'm telling you, there was this sense I've never been. It was such a, a weird feeling. There was such a depression, like a heaviness. I've never, all the lights and all the beautiful crystal everywhere, but talk about a darkened spiritual. And they're like zombies. They're just like zombies. They're just zombies. And it broke my heart. I said, Jenny, look at these people. These are, these are like zombies, just giving their paycheck, trying to get rich. It's of the devil. Yeah. Dr. Dufresne was in the airport in Las Vegas because he planted a church there. And, he, and, and, uh, and then the, the guy took off and, and was dishonorable and the church folded. But he did plant a church there years ago. And he was there with Mitch. They were flying commercial. And they were in the airport waiting for the flight from Las Vegas back to uh, Ontario, uh, Ontario, California, which is the airport closest to their home in Murrieta. And he was waiting for the flight. And he, there was a, 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 what do you call it? A, a slot machine or something over there. You know, I've been in those airports. They have them everywhere, right? Uh, even in the airports, they have them. They have them, and they have them in the S7-11s. They have slot machines everywhere. So, uh, and, and so, and he looked at Mitch and he said, he said, uh, watch this. The devil's going to let me win. Uh, the prophets are, 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 are different, different, something else. And he walked over and he put a quarter in and he pulled that handle and he won like $3,000. The quarters just started spewing. I mean spewing. They had to get bags to catch it. Really? Oh, yeah. And Mitch said, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And then doctor looked at him and said, a demon spirit did that. The Holy Ghost told me that would happen. I'm teaching you a lesson, Mitch. Then he said, now watch. That demon's going to do it again. Now, they rigged those machines that you can't win twice in a row. But when there's demons involved... You can win as many times as that demon wants you to win. And he put another quarter in it, and he won a second time right in a row and spewed out. I bet it was over $4,000. And he said, now, I'm not taking not one quarter of that. Go put that in the offering. But he, he taught Mitch, he said, the devil wants to get a hook in people. He said, that demon wants to get a hook in me. So he'll let me have certain success to get a hook in me. Now, of course, doctor didn't struggle with that. He never touched it again. He did that as a teaching example to his pilot. Praise God for that prophet's office. What I'm saying is gambling, uh, uh, lotteries, they're all get-rich-quick schemes, pyramid structures. I'm not saying people don't get rich, but most people at the bottom of the pyramid don't get any richer than they're feeding the, the guru up top. All that stuff is not God's highest flow. I'm not saying you can't get lucky, but I'm saying it's not God's highest flow. God, Bible says wax great. That word wax is the word gadal, G-A-D-A-L in the Hebrew. And it means to wrap around continuously. If you ever wrap a ball, a ball gets bigger. It means to wrap. It actually means to festoon. And it's like those ornaments that you hang, those, those, those decorations that you hang, and they wrap and wrap and wrap and wrap, and it gets from a little thing into a larger thing, and then they hang it. That's exactly the picture in the Hebrew. God does it gradually. He doesn't do it where you're a little seed, and then the next minute you're a pomegranate. That's get rich quick, because you can't handle the pressure of that money, even though you think you can. You don't have the integrity and character because you've never had anything. 
or you've had very little. But God gives you a little bit, sees how you handle it. Then he gives you another little bit, sees how you handle it. Then he sees if you're going to tithe. Then he sees if you're still coming to church. Then he sees if you're going to be proud and arrogant and snooty. Because I know a lot of rich people and they just think they're better than everybody. God, God, God won't bless you if you think you're better than people. And he'll keep wrapping you and wrapping you and wrapping you. And it's a gradual festooning over time. It means you wax great. Somebody said, does that mean he had a big candle? No, it's got nothing to do with wax. <laughs> Read your Bibles, Jennifer. Does that mean he had a big candle? No, there's no candle wax involved with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They wax, they grew. That word means to grow great. See, this is how God wants. There was a good life, but you've got to grow into it. Yeah. Are you with me? There is uh, this light and e light yoke, easy yoke and light burden. That's where doctor coined the phrase, actually Dad Hagen did, but he coined the phrase, it's light and easy. Yeah. It's light and easy because I'm, I've entered into his rest. Yeah. I've entered into his light and easy flow. That doesn't mean there's not tests and trials, and that doesn't mean there's not physically hard work involved, and that doesn't mean that I always look forward to everything on my plate, but in the bigger picture, it's a light and easy flow. It's a joy and a peace. I have entered into rest, praise God. I am living the good life. Do you see this? I've got healing when I need it. I'm walking in love. Not everybody loves me, but I love them, praise God. I mean that. I, I'm not going to risk my good life to hold something against you. I don't mean to be mean it, but they're not worth it. Nobody's worth risking my good life. Nobody's risk grieving the Holy Spirit because he's grieved when there's unforgiveness and stuff in your heart. Are you with me now? Now, notice here, go back to Hebrews. You, you, you keep pulling me off. Taylor, I told you, draw, but don't draw that much. Praise God. I can't preach if you keep trying to keep me on the waxing festooning thing. Now, it says here in verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. Verse 9 says there is a rest. It's here available. Now, verse 10 says, for he that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own labor. So that means that this heavy laden, Matthew eleven twenty eight. when you enter that rest, there's not, there's still work, but there's not the toil and the grievousness and the heaviness. Verse 9 says it's available. Verse 10 says when you enter in, it's light. Amen. You cease from your toil, the heaviness of labor. Not labor, but the heaviness of labor. Are you with me? You cease from that. Remember, uh, a perfect example, Adam, the first man, he still had to call the animals. And the Bible says, tend the garden and keep it. That means protected. What protecting? From the lion? No, the lion wasn't eating anybody. It was the snake on the way. Tend it. He still had to tend it. There's work, but it was light and easy. Yeah. Then when sin came and he stepped out of the good life, now what happens is now the Bible says the ground's cursed, thorns and thistles. And some of you crazy people eat that in your salads. Why are you eating the curse? Just stick with iceberg and romaine. Don't eat the thistles. They're part of the curse. I said that to a waitress once. She almost, anyway, praise God. I said, don't give me the curse, sweetheart. Go take all the thistles out. That's all we've got, sir. <laughs> Anyway, praise God. Uh, the thistles came up and then he still had to tend it, but now it's hard. He's going to pull weeds. Yes. You ever see weed? Want to see weed? Just come to Aaron. I'll show you my lawn. There's lots of them. We're getting an army of you to come up and help me. Help, help, help you, pastor. Please help me. But what I'm saying is weeds are of the devil. They're of the curse. They are. In the new world, they won't be weeds. But God says he cursed the ground and weeds came up and thistles. Now the labor that had been light and easy that had been rest for Adam, became grievous, became burdensome, became heavy. And the Bible said he ate bread by the sweat 
of his brow. That would imply that when he was in the good life, he wasn't sweating. Now, Jesus still wants us to sweat in the gym, brother. <laughs> but we're not supposed to be, <laughs> we're not supposed to be. Quinn tells me, Dad, you're such a geek. You're so nerdy. Why do you say things like that? And it's like, it's like feeding me. The more Quinn says that, the more I want to say it. So Quinn, you just don't say that, and then maybe I'll, I'll be cooler, praise God. But anyway, uh, God wants us to sweat in the gym, but he doesn't want us to have that labor. He ate bread by the sweat of his brow. That means it was hard work. It wasn't light and easy for him. Praise God. I'm trying to, I don't know if you're learning anything, but I'm trying to teach you that verse, verse 9 says it's available. Verse 10 says it's going to be light. And now what does verse, uh, verse 11 say? It says that he wants us so badly to have this. That he says in verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example as the Israelites of unbelief. If you don't believe, you're not going to have that rest, that good life. But if you do believe, you're going to have that good life. Don't be like them that didn't believe. Labor, labor to enter into the no labor. Yeah, that's right. Do you see what he's saying? Labor. The New Living says, try your best. Work hard at it. And that word actually doesn't mean toil. It means to rush, to use speed, to do whatever is necessary, to go as quick as you can to enter into it. Yes. Labor to enter into no labor. Meaning the heavy toil of labor, not that you don't have a job, but that you have the right job that brings you joy and peace. Yes. Labor, make effort to trust God and enter into this rest. So what does verse 9 say? It's available. What does verse 10 say? When you get it, it's going to be light and easy. What does verse 11 say? Work hard to get it. Do, make, make it your priority. Make it your focus to enter into this good life. Praise God. So we want you to know that God wants you to have it. Now, I shared with you point number one of five last Sunday. I'm going to do, that's the longest one. I'm going to do all five of them real quick and then we're going to close. But there are five steps to make sure that you enter into this rest. Now, did you notice here before I continue that it says now in verse two, um, for unto us, believers in the New Testament, the gospel was preached as well as unto them, the children of Israel. But the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. When they heard Joshua and Caleb, we are well able to take the land. Let us go up at once. They are bread for us. Let us consume them all at once. We are not like grasshoppers in their sight, like the people said. No, we have Jehovah with us. Let us go up at once. But see, the people didn't want to believe. And what happened? They didn't have the, they didn't have the right heart and they didn't believe. And the Bible says you can only enter in if you believe. Look at the beginning of verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into that rest. If you don't have faith, you can't have the good life. If you don't learn about faith, the good life, the light and easy flow, the rest is not, is going to elude you. Your whole life will be hard because you can only enter into that good life with faith. Now I want you to profit. Did you notice they didn't profit because it wasn't mixed with faith. They didn't enter because it wasn't mixed with faith because you can only enter verse three with faith. Woo. Praise God. You can only enter verse three with faith. But when they didn't have faith, when they didn't believe, they didn't mix it, verse 2, with faith, what happens? They didn't enter. So I want you to know that faith, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is for you to profit. We want you to profit. Amen. I want the congregation to enter into the good life, the light and easy flow, the restful flow, and the, and, and the profitable flow. That doesn't mean that you're always, that it's just about money. It's, it's not just about money. But there is a, profit it means more than money. Profit means you're, you're experiencing all that God has for you. In fact, it means prosperity primarily, but it also means peace. It means tranquility. It means wholeness. 
God wants you to be whole in your marriage, not just lots of money in your bank account. He wants your children to love you, not just that your wife loves you, but your children are estranged from you. A lot of people have made decisions, Jenny, that has caused not these things to happen to them, but they can turn those things around if they'll follow these five steps. So what are, we, what are we aiming at here now? We're trying to talk to you about how, at the end of the day, you can profit. Everybody wants to go to profit seminars. This is a free profit seminar from the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that will help you. And if you do these things, it will actually make you profit. Watch the first one, and I'm going to put some screens up as, uh, as I give it to you. The first one, actually put that screen up right now. The first one says, you've got to have the right heart. You've got to have the right heart. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Let me read this to you. Again, he limited a certain day, saying to David, today, after so long a time as it is said, now watch now, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Do you see that? Yes. Harden not your heart. Now, what does Matthew 11 say? Matthew 11, verse 28, 29, 30, but specifically verse 29. It says, come unto me, O the labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you to get into my flow, the easy life, the restful life. Watch. And learn of me teachableness. I shared this last Sunday. Yeah. The first one is teachableness. For I am meek. Do you see that? Meek. That means to be submissive, to be gentle, and to be patient. And lowly of heart. Lowly means humble. Put it back on me. Hum lowly means humble. Now, humble is different to meek. People think it's the same thing. Meek is how you treat other people, especially the one that's teaching you. And humble is how you see yourself. So whenever you think of meekness, it's an outflow. Whenever you think of humility, it's an inflow. Can you remember that theologically? So I need to have a teachable heart. When I come to church, I'm using my, as a pastor as an example, but it would work with your boss. It obviously works with Jesus because he is over all of us. But those that are in authority over you, I'll use the pastor as an example, come with a teachable heart. Come to counseling with a teachable heart. Come with a meek heart. I'm here to submit. I'm not here to, uh, to dictate and tell the person over me what it's about. I'm here to submit. I'm going to be gentle. Remember, meekness is outward. I'm going to submit to that person. I'm going to be gentle to that person who's over me. And I'm going to be patient in with receiving and walking out their advice. I'm not going to be in a rush all the time. It's not working. I'm, I'm out of here. So there is a teachableness, there is a meekness that is required, and there is a humility. Lowly means humble, and that's an attitude of the self. It is a demurring of yourself. It is I am lower, and I esteem the other one highly. Yes. It actually means in the Greek that you can be in a room, but you don't exercise your power. You don't exercise your rights, even though you have a right to. It means that you humble yourself. You don't exercise. Remember, Jesus left heaven and humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have ex exercised those rights and authorities, but he humbled himself and didn't exercise what he could. Amen. Do you understand? He, he, he didn't have to leave heaven. He was a king, but he became a servant. He humbled himself and gave up what he had the right to exercise. And he chose not to so that he could save us. Humility is not doing what you have the right to do. So Americans, especially more than Canadians, but all of us need to get a revelation of what lowly heart means because you'll hear our southern neighbors to the south, I have a right. Don't you know I'm American? I have a right. Canadians can be just as bad. Yes, you have certain rights and we should stand up for those rights, but there's got to be an attitude of humility. Yeah. 
There's got to be an attitude, especially with God and with those in spiritual authority over you. I'm not going to take every right I have. I humble myself. I'm here to learn and I'm here to be patient and gentle and submissive. Now, when you have those things, my brother, put that back on the screen. When you have those things, the right heart, and it says you're teachable, you're meek and you're humble. Matthew 11:29. 29. That is the first and most important aspect that you need to have. The heart is the key. The wisest man of all time, Solomon says, guard it with all diligence for out of it flows everything. Jesus, the greatest preacher and the king of kings said, if you don't understand this parable about the heart soil, you don't understand nothing. So the greatest man in the Old Testament and the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus, both talked about the heart being the principal thing. Keeping a pure, now what, what heart are we looking at? A teachable heart, a meek, gentle, submissive, uh, patient heart, and a, and a humble heart. That is the absolute key. To, you want a prophet? You want a prophet? Get, deal with the heart first. The heart is the open door to all the benefits of the future. It comes through the heart. Now, number two. What do we see? We see here one is have the right heart. Now have a look at verse chapter four, verse seven. And it's notice the same verse as the previous number, but we'll look at a different part of it. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You've got to, you've got to hear and not just listen. Did you notice Jesus always said those that have an ear, let them hear. He never once said those that have an ear, let them listen. Listening is of the mind, hearing is of the spirit. Jesus always talked about hearing because the hearing is it goes into your heart. Today, Hebrews 4, 7, hear and harden not your heart because if your heart is hard, you can't hear. Are you with me? You can listen, but not hear. Oh, I wonder, Reverend, uh, Reverend Taylor, how many people come to church and they are listening to a sermon but not hearing it. They are mental assenting what I'm saying. Some of you on the couch, you're doing it right now. You're mental assenting. It's soul for you. But you didn't hear the message. You listened to it. Listening is brain it's mental. Hearing, you also have spiritual ears, the Bible says. Hearing is when your spiritual ears hear it, not just your natural, and it goes into your heart. Harden not your heart that you may hear. In other words, if you have a hard heart, you can't hear. But if you have a soft heart, you can hear. Why? Because hearing is the seed of the word not going into your brain and just your thought life and your mental arena and your soulish arena. It's hearing the word going into your heart. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by listening and listening to the word of God. Yeah. Faith comes by hearing. Why? Because the seed of the word has to go into your heart. When the word comes in and you hear the word, now what happens? It's spiritual. It's not just mental. Now what happens? Now that the word is in your heart, revelation, because the Holy Ghost is in your heart, now the Holy Ghost can give you revelation into the word that you heard that came into your heart, and that revelation is, produces faith. Faith comes by hearing the word, the revelation of the word, but you've got to hear it. So I'm encouraging you as your pastor, don't just listen to sermons. Hear the message of the Holy Ghost. Hear it. Open up your heart. Remember number one, soft heart, teachable heart. Now you can hear the word. The word doesn't just go to your brain, it goes into your heart. How do you say, how do I open up my heart? 
Do number one, come with an attitude of humility, an attitude of teachableness, an attitude of gentleness. Say, Lord, I'm coming not to teach, but coming to be taught. Now your heart's open. Now when the word comes in, yes, your brain recognizes and understands. You are listening as well because you have ears. But now your heart is hearing it. And the seed of the word goes into your heart. And what happens now? The next thing, this is important. The next thing, did you put up number two? Did they see that on the screen? With your heart, you hear the word. Now go to number three. Put that on the screen, please. Now it says faith comes, Hebrews 4.12 and Romans 10.17. By what? Hearing the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is sharp and active. The word word is the word logos. This is one of the only scriptures in the New Testament where logos and revelation, logos and rhema are referenced in the same verse. Yeah. All the, most of the other verses, if not all the other verses, only reference one or the other. Jesus said, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of the Father, that word is rhema. I live by revelation. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the rhema, the revelation of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So usually it just has either logos or rhema. But you don't normally see a verse that encompasses both. Hebrews 4.12 is a wonderful verse because it encompasses both. The first word is logos. That means when the word comes to you, then the Holy Ghost breathes on that word. What happens? It turns into rhema. That's why it says the word is alive, quick, powerful, active, sharper. Why? What is it saying? If you study all those words in the Greek, which I won't for sake of time, but it, what it means is that logos written word, when it comes into your heart, when it, you hear it because you have a teachable heart and it comes into you, the Holy Ghost in you makes it sharp. It makes it alive. It makes it active. It makes it full of life. It makes it quickened. It actually means it pours. He pours revelation into you and the logos turns into a quickened rhema. Yes, amen that is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Logos is a dull butter knife, but the Rhema is sharper than any two-edged sword. What I'm saying to you here is in the same chapter, honey, God is talking about Logos and Rhema. In the same chapter, he says, harden not your heart, keep an open heart. Then he tells us very clearly that the word is to go in Hear the word because you don't have a hard heart. Hear it, Hebrews 4, 7. Then he tells us in verse 12, when you hear this word, it's going to become alive in you. Then Romans 10, 17 says, when you got that rhema word, that word, it becomes rhema to you. So what's number one? Put back on the screen, all three. Number one, we've got the right heart, a teachable heart. We've got a humble and submissive heart. Then when with that heart, we're able to hear, not just listen. Number three, when we hear and not just listen, faith is the result. Look at the back on me, but you can't just hear it. You've got to act on it. This is a very important point. You have to act on it. Number four, when you've got that faith, you enter into that rest. Hebrews 4, 3 says, the we which have believed that's faith, have entered into his rest. So you want the good life, you want the light and easy flow, you want the rest of God, you want all the benefits of the kingdom, keep your heart right. Hear the word, don't just listen to it. Let it produce faith and then act on that faith. Act on it. And then when you have faith and you walk by faith and you act on it, what's going to happen? Verse 3 is going to happen. You that have had faith and acted on it, you that believe are going to enter into that place of the good life. Do you see that? That light and easy flow. Now on the, on the opposite side of the coin, you look at verse three with me. You see here it says, we which have believed enter. Now look at verse six. It says, 
they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So do you see verse 3 and 6 are showing you opposite sides of the coin? If you want to enter in, have faith. And if you have unbelief or you don't have faith, you won't enter in. It's so simple. Well, I'm trying to have faith. Yeah, but your heart's not right. Listen, I've never met a human being and you'd be the first one in existence. And you wouldn't be the first one because it just plumb don't exist. I've never met one human being that can't have faith if their heart's right. The only reason you don't have faith is because you've got a hard heart. And you're listening mentally, but you're not listening with your spirit. That's why Dad Hagen would always say, don't make mental assent on my preaching. Don't just process this in your mind. Open up your heart and, and hear it. Go beyond the soul and let the seed go down into your spirit. Then the Holy Ghost got something to work with. Yeah. Then now that you've heard it, faith will quicken. Now act on that faith and because you believe, you enter in. Now what's number four you see there? Enter into that rest, that light and easy flow, that good life. And number five, finally, is what happens? You profit. When you enter in, the Bible calls it profit because it said the word didn't profit them, not mixed with faith. But if it's mixed with faith, which means you've entered in because entering in equals faith. When you are entering in by faith, you will profit. So everybody wants this profitable life and they want everything to go well, but it all comes back to how do you approach the attitude in which you approach learning? Like I said, that, that Coast Guard man said to the trainee, the only difference who is struggling because they do these tests on you where they try to drown you. They actually, they, they simulate, the instructors simulate a drowning victim. I've been in <laughs> El Salvador's ocean. We got pulled out. Pastor Anthony told us, don't go out too far. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm from Africa. I know how to swim. But of course, I'm with Milton, who is an Afro and he sucks in half the ocean. Praise God. He's got 1,900 pounds of ocean water in that afro. And he can't swim. He's never swam a day in his life. Oh We're in the shallows. A rip current came about and sucked us out. And it kept sucking us oh. out and out and out. And there was a red umbrella that was my reference point. And we were so far, I couldn't even see the red umbrella anymore. It was so small. You know how far you have to be out in the ocean where you can't even see a bright red umbrella on the beach anymore? That is far. And I got a young man there who can't swim. And he's having panic attacks. And I know what it was like because he would grab me and, and, and he's not trying to hurt me, but he's panicking. He's going he's gonna to die. And you go into a different mode when you feel you're going to die. And he'd grab me and he'd push me under. I had to, at one point, I had to punch him in the face. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to. Felt good, though. I'd like to do it some more, but good Jesus never let me do it again. But I had to literally punch him in the face to get him to break his grip on me because he would have drowned me. Yeah. I understand what that, what that feels like. So these, these, when you are drowning, you panic yeah. and you will pull people under. Yeah. And these lifeguard instructors simulate a drowning victim and pull people under. And if the Coast Guard guy can't remain calm while he's being pulled under, and they teach them to punch them in the face. They actually teach them to punch the instructor square in the nose and try to break his nose. Not try to, but whatever happens, happens because you're going to die. If you let them pull you under, you'll drown with them. So they train you how to handle emergency situations. Well, I'd never gone to Coast Guard school, but I sure figured out pretty quick how to pop somebody because I'm not going to die because you're pulling me under the water. Well, I don't even know why I was sharing this example, Jenny. There was a really good purpose to this. Do you remember? Do you know how to read my mind? 
Yeah, that was the example. I don't know what the point of it was. But anyway, praise God. Uh, anyway, I, I'm saying that th- that's right. Uh, thank you, honey, for helping me remember. Uh, you didn't, but I'll give you credit anyway. Um, but I said th- that they say, Jenny, is that they, they say the only difference between you and the drowning victim is the attitude in which you enter the water. They're panicking. You're not. If you panic with them, you'll die together. If you don't, you might have to pop them one to calm them down, but you can save their life. Listen, the attitude, the difference is some of you have to pop in the face once in a while with my preaching because you're too sensitive. And once, but I see you're drowning and you're trying to pull everybody around with you. Because you, you, you can't figure out how the things of God work and you're panicking because your money's not working, your health is not working. And sometimes the pastor has to go, stop it. Listen to me. Pooh. You don't like the water splash in your face, but you sure do like that little buoy that's going to save your life. So well, sometimes this, the, the rescuer has to be a bit aggressive to get the attention of the rescuee. Are you listening to me? The difference is that the way you enter the water. I said it to say this, how you enter church. It matters the attitude in which you enter the water. It matters the attitude how you enter the church service. It matters the attitude how you enter the counseling room. Now, let me step on your toes just a little bit more. It matters the attitude how you enter your workplace. You walk into your boss's office. You think he's just a carnal man and a secular man. He is, but many of them didn't get to that position by being stupid. That's true. And they've seen a whole lot of people before you. And people can tell when somebody is a hypocrite and when they're not. Not all the time, but many times. When you come and you enter that water, that work environment with a hardworking attitude and an honest as the day is long, I won't even steal a paperclip from you. Not even a paperclip. If I'm working from home, I won't charge you one hour that I didn't actually work. And I'm honest, and I'm hardworking, and I come to learn, sir. I'm here to learn. I'm here to help. I'm here to do whatever you say, but I want to learn. Teach me. I'm telling you, that boss, because most people don't act that way. They have this arrogance and pride, and it matters how you enter the water. You enter the water as somebody that is going to succeed and not drown. Praise God. It matters how you enter your boss's office. It matters how you enter my office. It matters how you, are you listening now? It matters how you enter Jesus' office when you pray. It matters how you come before the king. It matters. It matters. I'll give you a little simple example. Uh, We were going away. It wasn't even my fault, Reverend Gray, because we had to go and do an errand right after service last week, and we had to do a little bit of a drive. And I knew that I was going to be in the car for a while, and I didn't want to wear my fancy shoes. And so I, I wore my boots, you, you know, last week with my, with my casual pants, still with my suit. And, I'm, and nobody can see because they're only looking from the waist up. And I knew that I didn't want to have to carry those shoes with me where we were going. And the Lord dealt with me later that day. He said, uh, I don't want you going to that pulpit again like that. And I said, Lord, you know, we had a drive ahead of us. I, I don't want to have my special Louis and, you know, like, I, it's just easier for me to leave them at home. And I I, I said this to him. I'm trying to teach you something. I said to the Lord, in my defense, I said, nobody can see me, Lord. They can see the waist up. It doesn't matter that I'm wearing my boots and not my dress shoes. 
I'm still got pants on. They don't even have pants on, Jesus. They're in their underwear on the couch. I said, Lord, you know it, and I know it. At least I'm wearing nice pants with boots. What does it matter if I'm wearing the dress shoes or not? And I said, they, they can't see me. And I heard him speak to me, Jenny, as loud as I'm speaking to you. He said, I can see you. I can see you. I can see you. They can't, but I can. And I want my messenger to stand in honor behind that pulpit. I'm telling you something about it. He set me straight. And I said, Lord, whether I'm at home, at my office, or whether I'm here, I'm going to make sure that I am what, what I'm, I'm relaxed at home, of course, but especially here, that I wear what I would if this whole place was packed. And I always have. I think that was one of the only times that I did that. I think maybe one Wednesday night I might have worn those boots and pants. But that was, only, that was the only Sunday I've ever done that. And he, I mean, he didn't let me get away with nothing, Jenny. I said, but they can't see. I can see it. It matters how you approach the Lord. It matters the honor that you show him. It matters the humility, the teachableness, the gentleness that you show him when you come to him in prayer. It matters, it matters, it matters. He sees the heart. The heart is outflowed with the dress. Don't get hung up on all the people that want to wear T-shirts and jeans and, and, and ripped clothes in the pulpit. That's okay. We love them and bless them, but they just don't understand what we understand. There is an honor that God expects for his servants to wear. And if you got on the plane and the pilot came out with a hula shirt, I'm telling you, you would take a second breath and you'd think, I hope he takes this seriously. Because if he's in a hula mood while he flies that aircraft, I might be going to see Jesus early and helping prepare for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't want to do preparations for the marriage. I just want to show up and sit down. I don't want to go early and have to set tablecloths. Let somebody else do that. Let Brother Hagen do that. I'm showing up to sit. And unless that pilot is taking this seriously, I might have to do tablecloths in heaven. I hope because his dress indicates his, how serious he's taking this. Do you understand? So I'm grateful that they wear uniforms, that they look proper. And I know well, he's taking it seriously. He might have a hula shirt underneath, but at least he's taking it properly. Uh, that's why God wants us to address appropriately. He wants us to be, he wants to look at us and go, Craig's taking it properly. He's taking it seriously. This is not a game to him. This is a holy, sacred thing that he stands in. And the congregation, they're sitting there in the living room and they're not just in their robe. But they are dressed up. Their children are there. Whether they're dressed fully or not, at least you are appropriate. I'll leave that up to your discernment, what appropriate means. But they have made, it matters how you enter your living room for live stream. Are you listening to me? It matters how you enter your living room. It matters the preparation that you make. It matters that you pray over that offering instead of just clicking the button like it's nothing. You don't have to put in the envelope and come here in person. You don't have to do that. You can do it electronically, but it still matters that you do it with reverence. This is God's holy tithe. Father, we pray over this. We don't even have it in our hand because it's on the screen, but we put our hands toward that screen and we pray over that. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. We honor you and we honor the covenant and we tithe and we sow that offering. We lay hands on our seed and we release our faith in that seed. And Lord, we honor you and we just want to pray over it and bless you and thank you. See, that, that's the attitude that matters. And then you push, click, send. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, what's that word, Jenny? There's a, a lackadaisical just thing that people have developed in this season. Eh, I don't really have to go into work. Eh, I don't have to go into church. Eh, everything's electronic. Eh. I'm telling you, it matters to God how you enter the water. 
So what do we put up all five, please? What do we see here? We see it matters that you have the right heart. Everything comes back to the heart. That teachable, meek, humble heart. It matters that you hear and don't just listen. Then faith comes. Then because you act in that faith, you enter that rest. And now, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, now you can actually profit because you've entered that rest. I have three, tres. Do they know tres? That means three in Spanish. I have tres mas pointes. I don't know if that's a word or not, but anyway, praise God. <laughs> praise God. Jenny, put your arm on again quickly because at home they're all going, oh my God, I don't know what point is. Punto. Tres mas puntos, por favor. I have three more points, please. But, <laughs> shut up, Taylor. But, I did, three, I did nine months of language school. I'm going to use it somewhere. I'm going to use it somewhere. Glory to Dios. Dios le bendiga. God bless you. Hallelujah. That's the same in every language. Amen. I told my teacher the first, I said, I know Spanish. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, it's okay, Quinny. I'm almost done, son. Don't, don't hyperventilate. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I, I have three more points, but I just feel that we've done the purpose of today. And so I will bring those points out because there's, there's three examples. I've given you the structure, the five points of structure, but I want to give you some examples from people in the Bible that did these things and that didn't do these things so you can see how their life turned out. I wanted to get that in today, but I just figured that we talked a little bit too long about, about the, uh, the different examples, praise God, about the Coast Guard and all that stuff, but that's okay. I think, we, I, think I got the point across. What's number one? Have a right heart. I'm telling you, keep your heart right before God. The heart is the absolute critical key to everything. Hear sermons. When you read the word, hear it. Don't just listen to it. Hear it, even when you're teaching yourself, even when you're reading it yourself. Let it go down into your heart. Don't harden your heart. Faith will be the result. Praise God. Because you have faith, Hebrews 4, 3, you enter. If you have doubt and unbelief, Hebrews 4, 6, you stay out. By releasing your faith, you'll enter into that good flow, yeah. that light and easy flow, that the profit. Number five, you'll start to profit. You'll start to see things turn for you because you're in faith. But faith is not isolated on its own, Jenny. It's connected to the heart. See, we always talk about faith, but we don't talk about the heart. You, people, well, I'm doing everything, I'm confessing, but something, if something's amiss in your heart, you're not, faith won't be the result properly. You've got to keep your heart right. That includes forgiveness. You're coming and you're mad at people. You're not going to receive from the Holy Ghost in a sermon because your heart is hardened because of unforgiveness. Or maybe God told you to do something or sow something or minister in a ministry of help somewhere, but you just refuse to do it. Your heart is hardened. You might hear the sermon, but it's, you're listening to it. You're not really hearing it. Praise God. Every time you go to church, plow your own field. Every time you go to church, soft, make sure your heart's ready for that word. Every time I sit with Pastor Nancy, I sit there, and I, before I go, I say, Lord, I'm ready. My, my, my mama, my spiritual mama, my pastor is going to talk to me by the Spirit. Lord, you are going to talk to me about stuff that she doesn't even bring up. Yeah. And every time he does, because she has a grace for my life. But I come with the right attitude, a right attitude, a, a soft heart, a teachable heart, a heart walking in love. And then all of a sudden, the seed goes in, and then God starts speaking, and other seed goes in. He starts communicating stuff that she's not even preaching. She tells me, and she tells me all the time, she says, I get so much from God, and Brother Copeland's not even preaching anything about it. That's right, amen. 
because it's not about the sermon as much as it is being around the anointing of the person with the grace for your life and having a right heart combined, God starts pouring in answers to you that you need in other areas of your life that the preacher is not even saying because their anointing is for you. So being physically around them will let God minister to you. Praise God. I always know when I go, Jenny, we're going to get a download because I'm around Pastor Nancy. She may not preach one time anything that God says to me privately, but just because I'm in proximity to her, God honors that. She sees my face. God honors the proximity. I'm not just watching live stream. I'm there. And then all of a sudden he downloads. Plus I get a ton revelation from what she is saying, but I get as much what she doesn't say directly from God. God gave me the, started giving me the whole Africa plan when I was there. Came home within a week, all the little details that I didn't know were worked out. Yeah. Now we know exactly when Pastor Matthew's going. We know, well, we know, I, just, I know the whole thing. He showed me the whole thing. We know who the pastor is. God has revealed the pastor of Delaware. And two weeks ago, they gave me confirmation that they're accepting that, that, that appointment. Okay. So now we, we know the right pastor for Delaware. Yeah. We know the right pastor for Nova Scotia. We're not sure about the right pastor for this church, but, but I'm still, my, my name is in the bin and Reverend Greg is going to vote on it soon. Praise God. We know the right pastor for Pulsa. Is pastor happy? Oh, yes. Praise God. Praise Hallelujah. Amen. We know that pastor Chris, even though he's not directly under me, he's the right pastor for his church there. We know it. Praise God. It's so exciting what God is doing. God is, God is revealing because I, I, I try to keep my heart right. It takes work keeping your heart right. Keep your weeds out. Keep, keep, keep your weeds out. Keep your heart right. It matters the attitude in which you enter the water. It matters the attitude you enter church, the counseling office, your boss's office, your living room when you watch live stream, and most importantly, the throne of grace. It matters how you approach Jesus. Hallelujah. So you'll get the help that you need in time of need. Father, bless them today. Bless them, bless them, bless them. I love them. I speak over them. I bless them with my words. I bless them from their heart. My heart is their pastor. I thank you that, Lord, if I love them this much, I can't imagine how much you love them. You're their chief shepherd. You love them unconditionally. You died for them. Father, I thank you. I bless them. You bless them today. Thank you that you've helped teach them a little bit of something extra. I know it was a simple message, but there were still truths and revelations and nuggets in there that will help change their life if they're humble enough and teachable enough to listen and to hear. Let them hear Today, you said, let those that have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Lord Jesus, that's what your word says. So we have an ear, a spiritual ear, we hear today, and faith is the result. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.